At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We're glad you're here as we turn to the book of Genesis for our newest series, Family, Why Bother? In the pages of Genesis, we'll discover all kinds of hurting relationships that prove families have been dysfunctional from the very beginning. Join us as we uncover the only one who can renew and restore our broken families. All right, well, good morning, everyone. I guess it's almost afternoon. It's great to see you guys. Happy Father's Day. Are you guys ready for a nice, uplifting Father's Day message this morning? Yes. Okay, well, that's not going to happen today. So sorry about that. <laughs> if that's what you were hoping for, that's not going to be what today is. Um, man, it's great to be here. If you're new, just know this. Um, I'm not the head pastor here. Winston, uh, Pastor Winston is. And so come back next week. You get to meet him and see him. He's way better at this than I am. So um, it's, you know, I cover for him at best, okay? Um, they usually what they do to me is they put me when it's like Father's Day and they have a bunch of things going on. Like first service, we had baptism, we had child dedication, we had all these things going on. Like put Dave up there, he gets done on time every time. Like there's no chance I'm going to go over on time. So you're welcome for that. We'll get you out, get you some barbecue and quick. But um, it's just exciting to be here this morning. Let's pray. And then I just kind of want to dig into the word of God with you. God, our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we could be here this morning. And we just pray that um, as your message is preached, Lord, that it'll be your words, not mine and that um, we won't leave here unchanged this morning. Lord, help us just to um, have a conviction to serve you in every way, shape, and form, God. We are so in love with you, and we pray that you just continue to help us focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing in our series this morning, Family, Why Bother? And family is, is a funky thing sometimes, isn't it? There's that old, that old saying, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family, right? Like sometimes there's goods and bads in families. And so what we've seen as we've kind of systematically walked through Genesis is that, you know, we've seen Adam and Eve and what their relationship looked like and the mistakes that they made. We've looked at Cain and Abel. That was a special relationship, wasn't it? You know, last week we looked at Abraham or Abram as he was called out of, you know, Ur to, to the land that God will show him. And so as we've seen these kind of these family dynamics, we, Laura and I had an opportunity a couple weeks ago to go to a family wedding. It was my niece's wedding. Um, which is kind of a disturbing thing because I was there when she was born, right? Now she's getting married, and it's like, wow, I'm getting old. All right, this is awesome. Um, but we were able to go to her wedding, and as it was, it was at the church that I grew up in, right? My brother still lives down in Southfield, so <clears throat> we, that, that's where the wedding was. And all these guys were invited that, honestly, we haven't seen each other in years. But if you had seen us when we were growing up, the reality is, is we, we called ourselves just the misfits, we were just a bunch of punks growing up. We made mistake after mistake, and the things that we did, like if our kids were around when we were telling stories of reminiscing, right, our wives would have covered their ears, like don't listen to your, your dads, like this is not, this is not don't, don't do that, right? But as we're telling story after story, we got to a point, it was my older brother that kind of did it, he just stopped talking, and he kind of just looked at all of us, about 10 guys with their wives, and he just goes, huh, isn't God amazing? That we stood here as a group of men, all Christians, serving God in different ways in our lives. Some of them were pastors, some of them were engineers, but still served at their church. And how God providentially worked his way to that point. Like he worked in the lives of these men to this point in their lives. Like we're Christians, we're, we're back. And like, again, some of these guys made huge mistakes growing up and they suffered the consequences of those mistakes. Some guys made mistakes and had no consequences. Some guys made great choices, bad things still happened. Some guys made great choices and good things happened. 
right? But yet here we stood looking back, and I think we could all do that, where we look back on our lives and see what God systematically did to get us to where we are today. And if you're a Christian, that's a whole new level of like, wow, man, I can't believe that he would have used me, that he would allow that stuff to happen to get me to hear. And what we're going to see today is the big idea is that God is providentially working in everyday life. We're going to see Abraham and what he did and how God took him through his life to bring him to the point where we're going to read today. Because last week we talked about, right, as he was called out of the land of Ur, right? What did God say? Hey, leave your father, your, your kindred, and, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will bless those that bless you, and those who curse you, I will also curse. So he calls him out, and what does Ab Abraham do? He leaves, and he goes to the land, but not just, you know, he goes there, and he settles in, but he wasn't there yet with his faith in God because he had a little bit of lack of faith. The famine hit. What does he do? He goes to Egypt, and he comes up with just a not smart plan. Like, man, my wife is a good-looking wife. I'm, if we go there, they're going to kill me and take you, so let's, let's just call you my sister. Yeah, that's a great idea, isn't it? Right? And blatantly lies to Pharaoh. Bad things happen. Pharaoh gets upset, kick, kicks him out, right? Sends him back. And so we saw his lack of faith in God. Like he, as he went to Egypt, if he would have just sought God's wisdom, sought God's plan, maybe we wouldn't have had to come with the lie. But what does he do? He falls back on his own desires, his own will, his own power, his own strength. Right? A couple chapters later, what do we see? What we, we see him lack of faith again. God, you said that my offspring will inherit this land. I'm 100 years old and I have no kids. My wife is 96. Like, what's going on here? A little bit of lack of faith. And yet, what did God do? I got you. Like, follow the plan. I will not, if I made a promise, I'm faithful to follow through with it. Right? What do we read in Malachi chapter 3, right? The Lord your God does not change. If he makes a promise, he will not not do it. He's going to follow through with it every time. And so what do we see? Isaac born. And what we're going to read today in this chapter 24 of Genesis is that Abraham on his deathbed, complete faith in who God is. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 24, here's my thing that I always do. I don't have the verses on the board. And the reason for it is I want you to use your Bibles. So there's Bibles. We put them out. If you don't have that, open up your phone. Read with me this morning as we read the text. Chapter 24, we're going to start with verse 1, and then we'll kind of break it down a little bit. Chapter 24, verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in his years. And the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the women may not be willing to follow me back to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give you this land. He will send an angel of the Lord before you, and you shall take a wife from my son there. So what do we see? 
Abraham on his deathbed. His wife, Sarah, had just passed away. If you read chapter 23, it was the death and burial of his wife. He's getting old. He's made mistakes in his life. He's had ups and downs. And God used those ups and downs to get him to a place of complete faith and submission to who God is. He knows what God promised him in chapter 12, right? Your offspring will inherit this land. And he knows in order to do that, it has to be a pure lineage. Do not let my son marry a Canaanite woman. Take, go back, find a wife for him there. And understand what this must have felt like for the servant. All right, bud, like you want me to go to a place that you don't know where that is. Yep. And to ask a random woman who you don't know to follow me back to a place she's never been to marry a guy who she's never met. Yep, yeah, that, that sounds about right. Like, understand the holes in the plan. Like, I don't, Abraham, I understand what you're saying, but you want me to go, that's, that's kind of a crazy idea. And yet Abraham said, that's what you're supposed to do. Do it. That's what the Lord said to me for you to do. And the, the thing is, is all the ups and downs that he had, all the weird stuff that had happened in his life brought him to a place where he's like, yes, complete faith in who God is. 100%, that's the plan, stick to the plan. And do we trust God's promise? Because Abraham at this point trusted God's promise. He's learned through the sanctification process, right? Through the growth in Christ, he grew in that. Closer to God, understanding who God is, he grew in that moment to get to him to this place. Do we trust God's promise? Because God's promise for us is him. God's promise to those who believe in him is heaven with God. Do you understand that? Right? If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we're saved. Because with the heart one believes and is justified. And with, with your mouth you confess and you are saved. Right? Paul says that in Romans. Do we trust God's plan for us? If we're Christians and we gave our life, Lord, we understand that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Do we trust that plan to get us there? Because honestly, over the last couple years, I don't think we do. I don't think we all trust that plan anymore. We're scared. We're terrified of what might happen. It's, it is a crazy world out there. I mean, gas prices are insane. $5.55 for, for diesel. I drive a diesel. It's amazing, right? Love it. It's a crazy world. And if you haven't felt the craziness out there yet, you're not out there. Because being a Christian right now is not popular. Do you feel that yet? Like everything we stand for, they stand against. Everything we believe, they don't. And they'll do anything to stop it. Do we trust God's plan? Are we trusting in what he promised us? Right? Like, if we're so terrified to go out and speak to our neighbors and to our coworkers about who God is, like, do you understand, like, the problem with that? Do we realize what's at stake? Do you realize what's at stake when you don't, when you're so afraid to communicate with people, when you're so afraid to talk to people about who God is, do you realize what's at stake? Their souls are at stake. There are people who don't know who Jesus is out there. Your neighborhood your friends, your coworkers, the people around you, maybe some people in this room, but the reality is, is if we're not willing to step up and make that difference, to spread the gospel, but Dave, some bad stuff might happen. Yeah, 
You know what Paul says, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So be it. That's where we have to stand if we trust in God's promise that at the end of our lives, we're with him in heaven, then it shouldn't matter what happens to us here because this is not our home. Anything here is just temporary. It's all about being with him and about spreading the gospel to anybody and everybody. That's what we have to do. Stop being so afraid. Stop being so timid. Teachers out there afraid to, to love on their kids in their classrooms because, man, they might lose their jobs. That's terrifying. I get it. What are we doing about it? Are we cowarding back? Hey, I work in a, I work in a big construction zone. Nobody wants to hear it. So do it anyway. Live a life where people will see Christ in you no matter what you do. In all that you do, God is calling us to do that. He's calling us to trust in his promise, just like Abraham did, blindly following God. Hey, I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know the women that's, he, that's supposed to marry my son, but I'm trusting in God. And he tells his servant, go, do it. So his servant does that, grabs 10 camels, a bunch of other guys go with him, and they head out. No idea where they're going. They're following faith blindly. And so we pick up in verse 11 here, and it says this for the servant. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of the water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant to me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young women... To whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you've appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have, steadfast, you have shown steadfast love to my master. So what does he do? He goes to the well. He goes to a place where he knows women are going to come. As custom would be, women leave their house at night, in the evening. They walk however far it might be, some 30, 45 minutes to an hour to get from the city to the well. And they all do it. They take their jars and they draw water, take it back to their houses. And so he puts himself in a place where he knows women are going to be. So his prayer is simply this, like, God, I know there's going to be women here. Show me which one's for Isaac. Show me which one I'm supposed to talk to. And by this little plan, you will show me how. And the, 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 the miracle here isn't that Rebecca showed up. She was going to show up. They all do it. That's what happens in the evening. The miracle was that she said, yes, here's water to drink, but I'm going to water the camels as well. Because it was no easy task to water these camels. She had a three-gallon jar. A well wasn't something that you just pumped and water came out of. You had to walk down two flights of steps into the earth to an underground river, grab water, three gallons, and walk it up. Each camel drinks 10 gallons of water. There's 10 camels. It takes them roughly 10 to 15 minutes to drink that water. Do you understand what she committed to? Hours upon hours in the heat going down and back up and down and back up. She committed to doing it. And so as the servant is praying, listen to what happens. So he's praying to God, let, let this happen. Let the woman show up. And when I ask her to lay the jar down, let her say, you know, I will serve the camels as well. Before he finished speaking, behold, Rebecca, 
who was born of Bethuel, the son of Melech, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came with her water jug on her shoulders. He wasn't done praying yet. God's providential plan. She had already left the house. She was more than halfway there when he started to pray. Do you understand? God's plan is bigger than our plan. When we seek his provision, his plan is so much bigger than ours. But oftentimes we don't seek his provision. We seek his provision with, you know, our little desires attached to it, don't we? You know, there's a guy, um, his name is George Mueller. He was a Christian back in the 1800s, and he is known in England as the father of orphans, 120,000 orphans that he helped kind of get through. And the miracle was he never asked for money. He never went to a church and asked for anything. It was always just, I'm going to trust in God to provide. And the story goes, one morning he woke up, no food, no money to buy food, everything's empty. He tells the kids, you can't be late for school. Go, get ready for school, and when you're done, we're going to pray. And, and, And as they got ready for school, he began to pray, God, thank you for the food that you're going to provide for us. And before he was even done praying, there was a knock on the door, and it was a baker, bread for days. He said, I, I had a dream last night about you, that you, you were going to be hungry, yet you didn't have any food this morning. So God put it on my heart. So I woke up at 2 a.m. and I baked until this moment and I brought you bread. Do you need some? Amazing. So as they went back to the table, began to eat, they prayed for the blessing on the food. And before they finished even that prayer, another knock on the door and it was a milkman. His cart had broken down. And he said, listen, if I, don't, if I don't get rid of this milk, I'm not going to be able to lift the cart to fix the wheel, so do you need any milk? Like, he trusted in God, and what did God do? He provided. Do we trust in God that way? Do we seek his provision for our daily lives? I mean, we're Americans. We really don't have to always, right? Our provision is, God, help me have a bigger house. God, help me get a better job so I can make more money. God, I know I have four cars, but God, help us have five cars. But God, it's about me. It's self-centered. What can I do? Like, help me. God, thank you, but help me. When is it going to become, God, your will, not mine? When's it going to become that moment where it's, God, make your desires my desires? When does that start? Like, those have got to be our prayers. Because there's people out there right now that don't have. And we're so busy focused on ourselves and focused on what we want and what we need and what we feel like we need that we're not able to help others. Are we seeking God's provision? Here's a story that's more up to date. A few years ago, maybe it was more than that. I'm getting old, so I feel like I'm kind of at that moment where like a few years ago, it might have been 10. There's a lady that we go to church with and the last however many years of her life, she's dedicated her life to serving the poor to serving the homeless, to serving the people in need. And so she had a van, and she used that van. It was completely used to go around and get food for people. Anywhere she could find food that people were going to give to her, she would load it up in a van, and she would bring it to the church, and she would use it to feed the homeless, to feed the poor that didn't have. And that van broke down. Could not be repaired. No money at I mean, you could, it, was impo- it was not impossible to fix. It just wasn't practical to fix. And this lady, if you knew her, To me, she'd be in the hall of faith. You know where Hebrews, the hall of faith? Like, that's that lady, right? She got on her knees and she prayed and prayed and prayed and she sought wisdom and she she talked to people. And you know what God did? 
gave her a new van. Not brand new, but it works. Like, do we have that faith? Or is our faith in ourselves? Is our faith in our stuff, our bank accounts, our house, our cars, our country? Is our faith in that stuff or is our faith in God? That's where it has to be. In this servant blindly following, I will go. And he went and he did it. And as she said, yes, I will give you water and I will give water to your camels as well. He started to ask her afterwards about her family. And then as culture would have it, he asked if he could stay the night with them. That's kind of weird to me. That's cool. You know, I don't think that happens anymore, but literally she says yes. And what does he do? Like as she says yes, he sees the miracle that's in front of him and he praises God. He gets on his knees and he praises God for what he just saw and what he just did. And so he goes to the house with them. He explains to the father, to the son, to the mom, to the daughters, this is what God had told my master. He told me, and I'm here to relay the message to you. And, and they listened. And in verse 20 of chapter 24, this is what happens. Then Labam and Bethuel, so Labam is the brother, Bethuel is the dad, answered and said, the things has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, praising God again for the miracle. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave her brother and her mother costly ornaments. And he had the men, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she can go. But he, the servant, said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my ways. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us, let us call the woman and ask her, and they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So understand what happened. He asked, he, he, he told them the whole story, what God had told Abraham, what Abraham had told him, and they said, yes, we cannot stand in the way of God. Like the faith that, that Rebecca had is saying, I will go. Now, the weird part is that Laban and the mother come up with this weird plan, and in, in a couple of chapters later, you're going to find out why Laban and his mother are kind of deceitful people, but they said, just let her stay a few days. We don't know why they wanted her to stay a couple days, but what did the servant say? Absolutely not. This is God's plan. He's prospered my plan up to this point. Do not delay. And what did they say? Well, it's not up to us. It's up to her. Let's, let's ask her. And what does she say? The faith that she has to trust God's plan. I will go. The last point that we have today is we have to obey God's plan. We have to obey God's plan. And so oftentimes when we think of God's plan, we think huge long game plans. <clears throat> we hear stories of people selling everything and going out to be mission, missionaries. And if that's you, if God's calling you to do that, absolutely, do it. But so oftentimes, obeying God's plan is something simple. Obeying God's plan is sometimes just being a, a, a Christian father to your kids, being a Christian husband to your wife. Sometimes that's the plan. 
I was listening to a motivational speaker, which I don't always do. I, actually, I don't like most of them. But as he said this, um, he said this, when I was young, I was really ambitious. And I set out to change the world. And after time, after year, after year went by, I realized I could not do it. And so I'm just going to change my nation. And I spent years upon years trying to change the nation, realizing I could not do it. So then I decided I'm going to change the city at which I live in. And I couldn't do that either. And so I said, I'm going to change my family. And by the time I got to there, it was too late. My family was old. They moved on. See, we're so focused on changing the world when we have our kids. We have our wives. We have, here it is, ourselves. Like, do we truly believe God is who he says he is? Do we truly believe that in our hearts, when he says we're saved, that we're saved, it starts with allowing God to change us. It allows with this, we're not the center of the universe. It's him. He's the center. We revolve around him, not him around us. Change our hearts, God. Change our hearts. And that maybe we can change the hearts of our kids. We can show Christ to our kids and they'll change. And that they can go to their classrooms and show Christ to their friends. And their friends might be able to show Christ to their parents and so on and so forth. You see, are we obeying God's plan? His plan is for his glory. And it might be for our good, but understand that this isn't prosperity, our good. This isn't, oh, we want our good with big stuff and lots of nonsense. Our good is to be with him. Our good is our faith in him, living a life revolving around him. That's our good. His glory, our good always. And so oftentimes we ignore it. Like, do we trust his promise? Or do we put our faith in stuff? I love stuff. You guys, you guys that know me, I love stuff. It, it entertains me. But what purpose does it have? I said this during the first service. I was leaving for work earlier this week, and as I was getting in my truck, I saw a motorcycle coming down the road, and we just live on a small road, so 25 miles an hour, and I heard nothing. I just saw. And I'm like, what? An electric motorcycle? And it was a full-out motorcycle, like one that you want when you're in high school. And I'm like, yes. Now, listen, I drive a diesel. Okay, I told you that earlier. It's huge. It's got a 52-gallon fuel tank on it. I hate the thing right now. I get on my phone. I, I'm looking up, right, looking up uh, electric motorcycles. So I, Laura was out of town, so I send her a screenshot. Hey, what do you think? <laughs> Those of you that know my wife, she goes, that looks really pretty. And that was the end of the conversation. Isn't that weird? Like, we didn't even talk about it. I feel like it's Father's Day weekend. Like, maybe we should at least discuss this idea of electric something that she doesn't need. I'm not going to bring it up today. Okay, we're not going to start that. But, we, like, we'll spend so much time. Like, I researched motorcycles for, like, 45 minutes. It's just a waste of time. I knew what the answer was, <laughs> right? I'll spend time doing everything online. But will I spend 45 minutes in the Word? Like, that's where the problem comes in. We say things here at church, and then how does that, how does it translate on, on Monday? Lord, and I read through the Bible a couple years ago, and if you've ever read through it, there's a, there's a plan. Read X amount of verses, right? That's tough. Like, they, they want you to read 12 verses in one sitting. It took me like a whole 15 minutes, you know? I mean, 
I don't have 15 minutes. Like, do you understand the nonsense? You'll spend so much time on the internet just scrolling through garbage, focused on electric motorcycles and whatever else. I'm using that as the example. But what are we wasting our time in when the reality is, is there's souls at stake? Are we ready for the challenge? Are we ready for the responsibility that when we go to work, God, not help me have a busy day so we can make a ton of money or whatever that looks like. But God, if somebody walks in that door who needs to hear the gospel, get me ready for it. Use me in that way. That if a kid walks in, into wherever it might be, like, God, make, it, make me ready to share the gospel with this kid who needs. But we don't, we're so busy. We're so busy, and this is going to get personal because we got sports going on every other day. We got every weekend, we got baseball tournaments and basketball and football. We just fill our lives with everything that we can't even get our kids to two hours of youth a week. It's time to step it up. Like, what's more important? Me thinking that my kid's the next Justin Verlander, which he's not, right? Or his soul. What is more important today? Tomorrow, like, where are our priorities falling? Like, at some point, we got to put the talk away and say enough's enough. At some point, we got to put our money where our mouth is and say, some of that stuff is fine. Like, I'm not against playing sports. Those of you know me, I love it. But what's more important? What's more important to us right here, right now? Is it our stuff? Is it fame? Is it the hope that maybe my kid will be in the NBA or the NFL, which is 0.04%, just so we're clear? Where are our priorities? What are we doing? Are we showing Christ to our kids? We just dedicated one today, one during the second service. We had two the first service. We baptized somebody, two kids earlier this morning. Where are our priorities? Those have to be our priorities. We've all, anybody, I know so many of us, we've dedicated, we were up on stage together, some of us. Are we still committed to raising our kids in the Lord? Are we obeying his plan or have we gotten selfish and lazy? Has the world got to us? Has the world gotten into us? Has, they, has it infiltrated our ranks so much that we, the lines are just grayed now? We don't know what's, what's right and wrong. And so this morning as we're closing, here's our prayer that we will trust God's promise, that we'll stop being afraid, that we'll seek his provision, knowing that his plan is greater than our plan, that he will see us through to the end, and that we'll obey him, that we'll seek him. God, what do you want for my life? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to go about my day glorifying you in every aspect? Show me. Let us be a people that trusts his promise, seeks his provision, and, and, and obeys his plan. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.